A reading from Luke, chapter 24, 13 through 35. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are! And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Lord God, we are grateful today together as a community around your word in this third week of Easter. Grateful to remember that the proclamation that you have risen that your grace and your joy is not simply a one-day affair, but something for us to receive as a gift daily. To have our lives defined by who you have been for us. And so God, we pray we might again come with courage, an openness to hear your good news, to believe that it is true for us, and to leave this time of worship with a new perspective as changed people. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, friends, the opportunity before us this morning is to have our lives transformed. 
it's not exactly a, a low bar. But we have arrived at a perspective changing moment. This is what's being offered to us this morning. And no, I'm not saying that because we've kind of been thrown for a loop with the coronavirus and we're open to new things. I don't think I have some banger of a sermon, so I'm, so I'm really hyping up what's possible. Instead, I am claiming that bold expectation that we can be changed because that's what this passage declares is possible. Nothing stands in the way for us to receive resurrection perspective for our lives. Nothing stands in your way from having grace define how you see yourself in the world. Which, at least personally, I feel incredibly prepared for. You see, a, a while back, I actually put in the hard work all on my own of, of gaining a new perspective. I, uh, I spent a few months, um, a couple years ago, and I got really into learning how to identify trees. I'd, I'd basically go into my backyard and, and stand there and just sort of stare up at the sky. And I'd wait for a leaf to fall, and one would do. I'd grab it, and I'd look at it from all sides, and I'd examine all the details, and, and I'd take a picture, and then I'd search the Internet and try to memorize all of the stuff, I, I looked like a crazy person. My, my neighbors were weirded out. Especially because it wasn't something that I could do in just a weekend and be done. It, it took a long time to pick up even a little bit of info. I mean, you know how many different kinds of hickory trees there are? A lot. But I will tell you that in the fall, hickory leaves always turn yellow. So you're welcome for that little tidbit. Luckily, though, for me, I, I went in to this little foray knowing next to nothing about trees. If they weren't mentioned during the Masters Golf Tournament, I probably didn't know about it. And while I, I still don't know that much, because I began at nothing, I am now light years more informed than I was. And so, minus a few of my neighbors who will no longer talk to me because they think I'm off my rocker, what I gained learning about trees, it was all upside. And it really did provide me a new perspective. I now notice and appreciate trees way more now. And so, if, if perspective is to be had this morning, I was like, I'm ready to sign up. I've seen the benefits. That is, of course, until I, I dug into our text this morning. And it became very clear that resurrection perspective doesn't usually look like my 
tree education. When we are transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ, when we gain the perspective of resurrection for our lives, it's more than obtaining additional information or from going uh, from not knowing about something to, to knowing about it. Instead, to encounter the resurrection is to be given a new perspective in the very place we once considered ourselves experts. It's not some new information. It's transforming information. It's to see our own life in a new way. The one place we thought we knew best ourselves. Resurrection perspective, it's never an add-on. It's always the death of what we once thought was true. And an invitation into what we never thought was possible. And those are two characteristics that, I'll admit, are tough to prepare for. Tough to go out and, and try to grab hold of. I mean, die to what you thought was true and be ready to accept what you never thought was possible. Those are not easy things to sign up for. And I obviously can't even prepare us for something like that. I certainly can't provide you with that kind of kingdom perspective on my own. Only God can prepare us. Only God can offer this kind of perspective. But what I think that we can do, what I thought might be helpful, is to really dig into our passage this morning, to lean into the scripture, and to lift up, to name three things that seem to be true when we encounter the unfathomable perspective of grace. To at least see how three things that we, we might easily dismiss or actually think are markers of the wrong path are, are actually things that we can notice and lean into knowing that God is often present in. And so these are the three things we're going to walk through. Resur the first one is this. Resurrection perspective will often annoy us at first. The second thing is, resurrection perspective, it demands we confess the old ways we saw the world if we want to welcome in the new. And then finally, number three, only God's love allows our knowledge of God to be transformative. So we want to be open to resurrection perspective. We got to know it's going to annoy us. We got to confess the old ways that we've seen in the world. And we must know that for the knowledge of God to transform us, we have to experience the love of God. And so I want to walk through these things in a bit more detail. I've always found it fascinating that the two men 
in our passage as they walk to Emmaus are already aware of the Easter news. But for them, the empty tomb is just a footnote. Literally, they say, in addition. It's, oh yeah, besides this, you know, the women have also told us that a life-changing event happened, but we're not so sure. It's, it's something that for them they don't understand and can't explain. And so they barely give it any time. For these men, as they walk to Emmaus, it's the crucifixion that is still far more real than any whispers of the resurrection. Their lives are not defined by hope and mystery. They're still very much in confusion and anxiety. And when the risen Lord shows up, Luke describes them as being in mid-conversation. You can imagine it. They are stewing and venting. They're trying to make sense of all that has happened. Which I don't know if you've ever been confused or anxious, but as it so happens, I have been both of those things. And, and stewing and venting are some of my go-to moves. Which is also why I am not surprised that when Jesus starts asking them questions, they're a little annoyed. They're a little put out. Because is there anything more annoying when you are stressed out and, and really trying to figure something out than for someone to all of a sudden show up and ask, hey, what's going on? Talk to me about this. I just imagine like putting together some terrible Ikea piece of furniture and you're on step like 642 of 1200 and you realize that you made some mistake back in the 300 levels and everything's a disaster and pieces are everywhere and it's the middle of winter and you're sweating and you're you're questioning your purpose in life it's just the worst thing in the world and and then someone appears and asks hey uh you want to walk me through what's bothering you no i don't want to walk you through what's bothering me do you can you not see what's bothering me do you see what kind of hellscape I am dealing with here? That's these guys. Here they are. They're feeling vulnerable, justifiably so. And Jesus shows up and asks them to step further into that vulnerability. To verbalize exactly why they feel the way they do. Not just to to vent or to try to convince Jesus that their feelings are legitimate, but to honestly explain. And I don't know. When, when I have the opportunity to do that, when that kind of place is presented to me, it rarely comes organically. It's not something that usually that fun probably why one Christian writer once wrote, the truth will make us miserable before it sets us free. Because the truth, especially the Easter truth, it demands we confess how we have seen the world. 
Recently, Charlotte Marie Sturtz, in our couple small group, she introduced me to a Brene Brownism, as she called it. A suggestion Brene has for when, when things are tense and emotionally fraught. She says that it's helpful for us and, and anyone we engage in those moments if we are willing to pause and say, the story I am making up in my head is this. It's not just pause and say what we feel, but to say why we feel it. To say what it is getting at that is pushing our insecurity, that is making us scared. It's a confession. And this is what Easter makes us do. It comes in as such a bold, hopeful reality. We have no choice but to either run from it or to stand there and to confess the old story we were believing in. If we have any interest in keeping company with the risen Lord, we have to be comfortable naming the story we have made up in our head. Because the Easter perspective is not an add-on. It does not pick up right where the old one left off. Resurrection perspective is a proclamation that the old is finished and that something completely new has dawned. And we have to see how this is a clean break from the story we once told ourselves. If we're going to embrace it. So Jesus comes in. And as frustrating as it might be, as annoying as it might be, he says, what are you discussing? What do you think happened? Why does this honestly make you feel the way you do? And something amazing happens if we're willing to be humbled in this way, to engage these kinds of questions. What happens is we encounter what we already knew, but in a new, life-giving way. The two men in our passage, they are almost certainly Jewish. They know the scriptures. They are followers of Jesus. They have spent significant time listening to and learning from the Lord. And yet they are still willing to sit with this stranger and have these things that they thought that they knew explained to them again. Verse 27 states that Jesus sits them down and beginning with Moses and the prophets explains to them what was said in all the scriptures. But now with their old life laid bare, by the presence of new creation, they're open to hear the good news again for the first time. To see how distinct and set apart it truly is. 
This was the story I was telling myself, and this is why I felt I needed to tell it. This is it. And then I heard the story of God. That happens, and their hearts begin to burn. When we have been in a similar place, when we have found our ability to, to name how we have seen reality and then been open to hearing the gospel story, I know our hearts have burned too. For we understand God's story is inviting us into a new life. And if you had never read this story before, you'd assume that's the climax. These men have learned a new perspective and they will, they will go out and they'll, they'll live it and discover it to be true and live happily ever after. But this is, of course, not the end of the story. In fact, even though their hearts burn while Jesus teaches them the scripture in the moment, the two men don't even realize that's the case. Because, and this leads to our final characteristic, only God's love allows our knowledge of God to be transformative. Richard Rohr writes, most of us were taught that God would love us if and when we change. But the truth is, God loves you so that you can change. What empowers change, what makes you desirous of change, is the experience of love. And how do we experience that kind of love of God? By allowing the God of grace to be Lord of our life. To realize as we are still unfaithfully walking away from the cross, Jesus has come into our life with hospitality and love. Friends, the new beginning of an Easter perspective is not something that we must choose. It's not something that we have to will ourselves to. The new beginning has already been inaugurated. Inaugurated for us as an act of love by the God of the universe. Resurrection perspective is never a view of who you can be. It is always a declaration of who you are in light of the grace of Jesus Christ. It's an invitation to be defined in this very moment by the outpouring of love that we witness in the cross. Friends, it is to allow God to come into the places that we assumed we were in charge of, that we figured we needed to be in charge of. It's to allow God to come to our dinner table and to see that he can host us with love and grace. And it's in that truth it's why these men 
That's why they only realize what this new perspective means for them. They only become aware of how their hearts burn when they allow Jesus to serve them the bread of life. It is then what has already been finished transforms them into new people. Of course, you know, at the end of the day, I I am sure that these men didn't leave this encounter thinking they had finished the race. I'm sure that they had plenty of setbacks and reversals long after this. I know sometimes this is what makes us fear a change of perspective and transformation as we, as we know it's not going to last. But friends, even if these men have a long way to go on their journey, even if that is true for us, the difference is that they now believe that the race has already been won. And at least for one day, they take the gift of that new perspective and they make it an about face from the direction they were going. And they walk back seven miles into the kingdom of God. What is stopping us from doing the same thing? Do we not want that? Well, if you want to take it seriously, let me close by offering you four questions that could help orient us and open us up to this good news. Where are you confessing the story you are making up in your head? How are you allowing God's story to be proclaimed alongside that vulnerable confession? Where do you need to trust God to host your life? How are you connecting with others around the the ways the Lord has made your heart burn? Friends, these questions aren't a roadmap, a how-to for gaining resurrection perspective. These questions are simply an invitation to take seriously that the life-changing good news of Jesus Christ is walking alongside us, ready to offer us new life. We can be defined, hosted, sent out, by the grace and power of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Will you pray with me? God of grace, today we boldly pray we might look back at this time of worship and realize our hearts were burning because of your presence. For then we will know that we have encountered you, the God of resurrection. 
So Jesus, give us the faith to not use our annoyance as a shield. Give us the courage and the wisdom to name our old stories. Host our lives, Lord, so we may claim your perspective. So we may stand on your finished work and become people of joy and hope wrapped up in your story of redemption. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.